Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. All right. Everybody go ahead and move back to your seats. Good to see you all. This will be one of those weeks it's like everybody did their due diligence in coming to church on Easter and they're like, yeah, I'm good. Going to the beach. But literally, that's actually what happened. Yeah. Half the church is at the beach. Um, welcome, everyone. It's so good to see you all here. So good to see a couple new faces. You, of course, are welcome. We're in uh, what is the second Sunday of Easter. Uh, and for our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, today is actually their Easter. So if you know any Orthodox people and you want to show them that you are kind of attuned to their cultural reference points, you can wish them a happy Pascha today. Um, so last week, um, we looked at the story of the resurrection, um, kind of focusing in on the empty tomb, that um, there's an invitation there to step into something new. And that's what we see through the major players in that story. And we kind of allowed each of them to be a sort of an archetype or an invitation for each one of us that we saw in Peter. Uh, Peter's whole life to us is this reflection of a kind of an impulsive nature becoming faithful action, right? And in John, we see a contemplative mind that sometimes maybe is a little bit passive being invited to take that step into mystery. And then finally, we looked at Mary Magdalene um, as that, that just open and tender heart risking grief and loss and pain. Um, and she shows us that oftentimes our hearts are the first ones to the empty tomb, to to grieve the loss of what we knew of Jesus, but our hearts are usually the last to leave. And as I've been reflecting this past week on the story of Mary Magdalene, considering, gosh, if Peter and John had stuck around at the empty tomb long enough, would they have been able to, to witness uh, the angelic host appearing inside the tomb? And would they have uh, actually encountered the risen Jesus there? But it's Mary who sits there refusing uh, to, to let go, to move on, who's feeling her feelings, and it's through her tears that she's actually able to see these angels and to seek Jesus. And both the angels and Jesus, the first question to her is, why are you crying? And it's not an indictment against her, like, why are you crying? You shouldn't be crying. It's that they want to, to name the feelings that she's experiencing in that moment so that she can actually encounter Christ. She had a beautiful, she loved Jesus, but her vision of Jesus was not yet complete. And that is what she needed to be uh, invited to. And I think that that, is what this Easter season is inviting all of us to, to say that many of us, we love Jesus, um, but is that vision that we have of Jesus complete? Or do we hold tightly to one version of Jesus that over time actually prevents us uh, from encountering him to be bigger and more beautiful than we thought? So I'm gonna pray, uh, and we're gonna jump right into to today's scripture. So uh, Heavenly Father, we, we do testify that you are here and that you're with us, and. Um, Lord, for all of our, uh, our friends, our family, people who call this place home um, that may not be here today, Lord, we pray that your presence would be so clear to them and that they would know that you uh, are right there next to them, that you, you are craving that intimate recognition uh, of deep calling to deep. And Lord, that's why we're here this morning. We have this high expectancy that as we enter in, in the same way that Peter and John entered into the tomb, 
in the same way that Mary entered into the tomb. We're going to find something there, and we don't know what it is, but we trust you, and we know that you are good, and that whatever you have in store for us is good. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to be looking at uh, another story of uh, disillusioned disciples today, uh, kind of carrying on in a way um, from the stories of Peter, John, and Mary. So last week we looked at their stories through John 20. This week we're going to be looking at Cleopas and his wife Mary on the road to Emmaus. So I'm going to, I've broken the story down into two parts. I'm going to talk a little bit about the first half of the story, uh, and then as I said last week, we're going to uh, open it up for people to share testimony. So I've got a couple people that have already reached out. They're going to come down and they're going to share their stories, and then I'm going to open it up uh, for all of you to come down and share your stories, which I'm sure you're so thrilled with. I still don't know how we ended up at a church of almost entirely introverts. I don't know how that happened, but it doesn't mean you don't have anything powerful to offer one another. (laughs) All right, so this is Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened in these days? How many of you get snarky with Jesus sometimes? Or like you, like you have a voice in your head and you're like, Ugh, and then you're like, okay, that's probably the Lord. So first of all, apologies, but we'll continue. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I think the swirl of emotion in this story should be kind of our entry point. That's a lot of times what we're trying to do. And we say that it's not so much our job to interpret scripture, but to allow scripture to interpret us. As it washes over us, we find that we're caught up Uh, In these kinds of stories, perhaps we find ourselves walking alongside of Cleopas and his wife on that road uh, to Emmaus, but we can sense in this story there's a a profound uh, confusion, and there's a disappointment, and there's this possibility of something has happened, and Jesus is alive, but we haven't seen it, and the fact that they're leaving Jerusalem means that they probably don't really believe it. We can kind of feel this sense of uh, confusion, disillusionment, and disappointment in them. So Cleopas and his wife Mary, they're devastated 
um, they're devastated that this whole movement, this Jesus movement, didn't turn out the way that they thought. And we've looked at that several times, that there were so many that were following Jesus, but each of them had a slightly different um, agenda for what they thought was going to happen. Maybe it's like, uh, like Judas thinking there's going to be some sort of a, a political revolution that Jesus was going to lead an army that was going to fight against the Romans and reestablish Israel. Um, others didn't know exactly what they were looking for, but they certainly didn't think it was going to end with their spiritual teacher um, being crucified outside of the city gates. So everybody kind of walks away saying, well, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be, which often means like so, for so many of us, we have, we have this, we, like, we want Jesus, we like Jesus, we're a fan of Jesus, and we bought all his CDs in the 90s, and like we wore his t-shirts and everything, but it usually is we like Jesus when he serves our purposes, like when Jesus conforms to our expectations, and especially the American Jesus is the Jesus that makes us happy and gives us stuff, which is why we talk about we're blessed when we've got stuff, which is to imply if you don't got stuff, you ain't blessed. And that's usually how it happens for us um, in this country. And so you can imagine when that Jesus, that version of Jesus doesn't come through for you, whatever your intentions were, whatever you thought Jesus was supposed to give you, there can be that sense of frustration and disillusionment. And perhaps you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, maybe none of this was ever true in the first place. Maybe I've wasted years of my life following this person, Jesus. I don't seem to be getting what it is that I need out of him. And I think that that's actually the really the, the clear piece, because part of our spiritual maturity is when we begin to think less and less of what it is that we get out of Jesus and what it means to follow him unabashedly and, and in this like dedication because of who he actually is. And I mentioned last week how powerful I think that word disillusionment can actually be. It means to be robbed of our illusions. And even though that hurts, is that not what so many of us need? We need to be robbed of our illusions that we're sustaining this illusory religion that we thought this was what it was all about. And if that's not true, we want that thing to be taken from us, even if it hurts. And so the risen one walks alongside of us in the death of our dreams, if we give him our ear, to show us a still more beautiful vision of the whole resurrection story. So Jesus comes alongside of Cleopas and Mary, and he listens to them and he asks them questions, kind of delving into this disappointment that they're experiencing to figure out what's going on beneath that. And then Jesus begins uh, in an interesting way that he actually tells them the whole scriptural story from Genesis right through uh, to what would have been Chronicles in the Hebrew Bible and showing them all along the way, this is exactly how everything was meant to happen if you knew the story. And again, what, even what we did with the last series, we're looking at the Old Testament for signs of, of Christ. This is why we need the whole story. Because if we don't have the whole story of what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation, that's when we tend to pin expectations on God that are not fair or not what he promised us in the first place. And I think, again, what a lot of people, in, certainly in, uh, in my generation and younger, are rebelling against is that they've been sold a false Jesus who, who makes false promises. And what they're actually rebelling against is not the true God. They're rebelling against this kind of um, you know, commercialized version of religion. 
because they don't, again, it's what do we, the Bible is the handbook for life, right? You just, something breaks and you turn to page 256 and it just, it tells you how to fix it. That's the only expectation of scripture rather than it being about us being caught up in this dynamic story. And so even here, Cleopas and Mary, who as Jews were probably really immersed in the story, they didn't, uh, they didn't see the signs. They needed someone to interpret them with them. But Jesus on the road to Emmaus is so patient to walk alongside of them, to show them all, all along the way, this is exactly what was meant to happen. And I think in our modern era, many of us were walking that road to Emmaus. You know, and for them, it's seven miles, so that's half a day's journey. But for many of us, it's been several years. And the idea that they're walking away from Jerusalem is that they're walking away from the place where it happened. And for many of us, that's what it feels like. We're walking away from the place where it happened. And I think that that is uh, what's so profound to me about this story is all along the story of Jesus, it, it's, never, it's never clean with, with the follower, early followers of Jesus because it's never clean today. There's always a sense of confusion or disappointment or this need to be reoriented back, to, to, to gaze upon Christ again and to allow our vision of Christ to be purified so that we make sure that who we're following is not a counterfeit, is not you know, a, a, a small, um, Americanized, uh, commodified version of Christ, but that we're seeing him in his fullness. But that means that we have to allow him to come alongside of us and to teach us along the way. And one of the ways that I think that that happens for us um, is that we tell stories to one another. So that's what I love about this passage as well is Cleopas and Mary, they're talking, they're comparing notes, they're actually sharing their experiences with one another, giving each other an emotional context. But even as they're talking to Jesus, even if they don't know who he is, they're saying, well, um, our women came to them and they told us these stories. And then the, the disciples, they told us these stories, even though they went to the tomb and they couldn't find it. Like it's full of story. Like everyone is sharing their actual experiences with one another. They're not afraid to do that. Can you imagine if on Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene went, oh my gosh, I just seen the risen Christ, but I hate crowds. Well, you and I probably wouldn't be here if she had had that kind of feeling because it's more about her ego than it is about her sharing uh, the risen Christ. Because when we tell stories of resurrection and renewal, we invite others to walk the road alongside the risen one. That's what happens. I think that's one of the biggest differences to me. Testimony is not about you. So you can put your ego aside um, and you can tell us about the risen Jesus and what he's doing. Because you and I, like Cleopas and Mary, like the disciples, like the, the women among them, we need each other's stories in order to process this wild, strange adventure of being on the road with the, the risen Christ. A testimony, therefore, is not a prescription, okay? You're not coming up here and saying, this is how I did it, so you're supposed to do it like me. That's not testimony. That's something else entirely. And when we share testimony, when we tell one another our stories, and even if you're in one of our community groups this past week, we were also in that we're telling one another these stories of resurrection and renewal, it adds to this ecosystem of a faith community. Um, that the markers for our community are worship, a word, sacrament, prayer, testimony, service. All of these things kind of add to this 
this bigger uh, tapestry of what it means to be part of uh, the family of God. And the way that I kind of finished out last week and speaking about how you and I, we are these living icons in the middle of the old world. Like your life is a sign of what is to come. Like what Jesus is doing in your life right now is, is kind of a deposit or a guarantee or a promise of like, this is what it's going to look like in its fullness when God brings about uh, the renewal of all things. So the question I left you with last week, where have you witnessed resurrection and renewal as you follow King Jesus into new creation? So I have a few people that have already reached out that I'm gonna invite to come down and share, and then I'm gonna open it up uh, for the rest of you to come here. So here's a couple helpful pointers that I have found along the way as I've done this. Number one, I'm going to hold the microphone. You're not going to hold the microphone. I have made that mistake in the past. Um, and then we don't get out of here for lunch. So number one, testimony is about you telling us what God is doing in your life. Okay? It is not a story about how you were on your way to Publix, and then your mom called you, and then you were thinking about this, and then you realized that you actually need to get sugar while that you're there. And while you're at it, you should probably call your sister and then, uh, you know, I drove by this church and they had a cool sign. But then anyway, you know, it's not about you. <laughs> like, so, so make it about what God is doing in your life. Number two, avoid those extraneous details. We don't need to know, like, every thought that went into the thing. Um, because so often we can bury the lead of, like, here's the story I'm trying to tell by adding in all these things. I actually read this great article two weeks ago about um, why blockbuster movies are just getting too long. Like the, the movies now are just so long, we can't even really enjoy them. I won't name any movies because I don't want to hurt your feelings, but like movies have gotten real long. Do you all remember like double VHS? You know what? Yeah, Titanic, Forrest Gump. Uh, yeah, like now like every movie would be a double VHS, you know? Anyway, um, avoid the extraneous details. And then try to keep it to two to three minutes because we want to have um, a few different people share. Okay? Everybody in agreement? All right. Number one, the first person I'm going to call up is one Johnny Michaud. Come on up. Everyone give him a round of applause. All right. What you got for us, Johnny? Okay. Um, first, I'm going to pray. God, just help me, like, have these words flow from me, honesty, and let them bring you glory and edify the body, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, my name is Johnny, and I am an addict. That's the way I introduce myself sometimes at a recovery meeting, because I, I go to these recovery meetings, and I've had people go, don't, don't talk. You should never, like, introduce yourself like that. Well, it's funny, because, like, a couple weeks ago, God like put it on my heart to go to this DACNA convention, which is the Daytona area convention of Narcotics Anonymous. And I, it's weird because like, I didn't know why I was supposed to go, but I knew I was supposed to go. And I knew I was supposed to go and listen to some people there. And when I was there, this other guy who comes to our church happened to be there and I saw him and we both smiled and we walked up to each other, embraced each other. And we started talking and this man comes up to us and he says, hey, is there a convention here? And I'm like, yes, yeah, it's, it's a Narcotics Anonymous convention. And he like has this look of like terror on his face. Then he's like disgust. And then I look at him and I go, 
we're in recovery. We're not here to use drugs. And then he's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and then it was like almost like condescending, like good for you. And he walked away and my friend looked at me and goes, that's what the world thinks of us. And I thought, thank God that's not what Jesus thinks of me. And uh, I started to think back to like when I came into recovery and I really struggled and somebody said to me, God has a special place in his heart for the recovering addict. And I was like, well, I'm going to grab onto that. That's going to be like my truth. And I really struggled. I relapsed a lot. I, I, I went back to using, I, I used some bad drugs, and, but I like kept coming and kept trying and uh, it got less and less and less. I really relate to like the Israelites and their story and when they came out of Egypt and, and Exodus. And I remember reading it and I remember reading when they made the golden calf and I thought, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> and then my second thought was like, that's a horrible thought. Better thought, what happened to these people? And I started uh, this journey of self-discovery that God kind of led me to. I didn't grow up in an ideal situation. I mean, there's a lot of abuse when I was a child, physical, emotional, sexual. I mean, it's there. Um, and I kind of suppressed a lot of that. And those are emotions I don't look at. Well, it's funny because the first, very first speaker at this convention, I'm sitting there and these two gentlemen come in and sit next to me. And the one that's two away from me, I have a lot of animosity towards the guy. I just don't like him. I don't like the way he carries himself. I don't like the way. And then the speaker on the stage goes, if there is somebody in this room that you have animosity with, that you have bitter feelings, I want you to walk up, hug them and tell you, and I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Like you got to be kidding. I dealt with a lot of things in my life. And there's a lot of times I should have been dead from the way that I use drugs. Um, I'm HIV positive. I dealt with AIDS. I thought I was going to be dead at the end of the year. I'm standing here today, like with a healthy immune system living like, and those are just like, there's millions of miracles throughout my life. If you ever want to hear that story, come out to coffee with me and I'll sit down and I will share it with you. But anyway, and it's important that I tell you that I decide, and, and I don't know if you've ever been in this position, you're sitting there going, how do I talk to this person? What do I say? And it's like, I'm supposed, and I went up to him and he was in a wheelchair and I was confused. And I said, are you in a wheelchair? And he said, I passed out in my house. I got really sick and they discovered that I have AIDS and I'm really, and he started to share. I was like, oh my God. And my animosity turned to empathy and empathy is not listed as one of the fruits of the spirit, but I really think it should be. Um, anyway, and I started to reach out and talk to him and, and share with him. And I was like, do I tell him that I had a problem with him? And then I thought, no, that's your own ego. Don't make him feel bad. Just take this posture with him. And as I went through the convention and one other thing, I'm trying to piece this all together. I started going to therapy, doing this e EMDR, whatever it is. It's like past regress. ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all these things have been like coming up, like these things. And I even had like, I, the first time I left, I remember being in my car and crying. And I'm like, I don't cry. Like, this is not me. And I talked to Ryan about it. He's like, that's God, like bringing you to healing with these things. And I called a friend and I said, 
I don't know what to do with this. Like, what do I do with this stuff? And it's funny because God has this whole amazing story with me. And I want to put in one more piece because I've struggled with, with relapses well into Christianity. And I went to my community group and I told them, I said, look, guys, this is what's happening. And I don't know what to do with this. And they're like, we're going to get an elder and we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to put some oil on you. And, and they did. And the weird thing is not only did I stop, like I lost the desire to use. And it was so weird because it was like, God just like said, I'm going to deliver you from this. And, and when he did, um, it was amazing. But then it was like, there's this deliverance. And then there's this kingdom that's in front of me that God wants to take me to. I got elected to go to this convention this summer. It's up in Boston. I grew up in Rhode Island. My parents are buried in Rhode Island. And I thought I need to go a couple days early and I need to go visit their grave. And I don't know, what am I supposed to say? And then another convention that the speaker was talking about Nelson Mandela being in prison for nine years. And when he got out, they said, are you angry with your captors? And he said, no. And they said, why not? And he goes, because if I was, I would still be in prison. And I was like, oh. And then, and this is all at this convention I'm supposed to be at. And I was like, I need to forgive people. I need to go there and I need to, to forgive. And that's what I'm gonna do this summer. I'm like going to my parents' grave to sit down, to have a conversation and forgive them, you know? And it's funny because it just seems like I have this baggage I'm holding on to that's keeping me from going through the gate and entering in the kingdom because the kingdom's here. And, and it's like, I can step into it. I was also reading in Deuteronomy, the last thing, the Israelites, not Deuteronomy, numbers. And they were like going to the promised land and it was like 11 days, but it took them 40 years. And my thought was like, Wow, how many 11 day journeys have I turned into 40 year trips, you know? And then it was like, oh, all my past is part of this because Moses just doesn't go, oh yeah, now we're gonna do this, we're all new. He tells them the whole story again, you know? And I'm like, okay, this is all important. Um, it's a miracle that I'm here, not growing up in a Christian home, not spending my life in church. And that's all I got, that's my testimony. Thanks, Johnny. Jackie. Good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jackie. Uh, my word for 22, my word for 2022 of the year is rest. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so last weekend, I can't believe it's been a week. Ryan here gave a 12 hour teaching on the book of Matthew and I love theology nerd stuff. And so this was really a great time for me and the people that I went with. And Ryan said something that I never noticed before. And, uh, when you read the book of Matthew through this lens, I highly recommend it. It's about the way that Jesus repeats, like retells the story of Israel, but the twist is, is that he actually passes all the tests that Israel couldn't. And one of the other common threads is that Jesus turns everything upside down, which brings me like even more clarity on like what 
it means to be living in the upside down kingdom. And I realized I just could not stop thinking about it. Like Jesus reversed the curse of death and sin and shame and disobedience. And then I realized that's what's been happening to me the past few months. Um, so now we're back to rest being my word of the year. And I have spent so much time just trying to strive for acceptance because I never really felt like in a lot of my life I could fully be myself or express my emotions fully for a number of different reasons. Like that's another thing for another time. And just in sitting down and resting, like not just like getting more sleep at night, although that's definitely helped. Um, like resting for me meant ceasing from striving, like ceasing from having to perform to get the love that I think that I want and to instead allow myself, like when I actually am able to express myself, then I actually can get the love I want because, and need, because I'm actually expressing myself. And like, there's so many, like many stories that I could share, but I, it's, I'm not going to, that's, you know, like what Johnny said, if you would like to hear some more, we'll sit, we'll go to lineage and talk about it. And I'm really excited. And I'm just really grateful for the way that through like all these like little things, like God is bringing me back to wonder, like I was always striving for recognition and bigger things too. And it's in the small stuff, the, that is actually really holy. The way that I got to feel Kaylee's baby kick while she was hanging out at my house and the way that my friend Taylor, she and I, we had a road trip through Jacksonville back to um, winter park and the way that we were going through the country in Florida and her looking and saying, Hey, look at these wild horses. And I'm never had seen wild horses before in my whole entire life. And I'm just staring in wonder at all of this. And, um, Jenna had mentioned briefly on stage that, um, the pipes in my complex, um, several of them burst yesterday and I, um, I hate asking for help, but like, I did also did not want to sit in my own like smelly, gross, you know, doing chores ickiness. And I like reached out and like asked for help. And I'm like, oh, I hate asking for help. This is so inconvenient. Ugh. But then I had this perspective shift of, wait a minute. Yes, this is horribly inconvenient, but I'm so grateful that I have people in my life who even in this small thing want to help me. And so I was able to take a shower last night and the water's back on. And, um, I'm just really grateful for the way that like, I don't have to reach for the big things to find God that like when I sit down and stop and rest and just sit still with him, like he is really not as hard to find as I thought he was. It's good. Good. Ellie, I saw you. There you are. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm just going to read. I sent Ryan a text and I typed it out. It's, yeah, so. Um, here, I text Ryan after I listened to the sermon from last week because I was out of town. And I was like, let me listen to it. I feel like it's significant. And it really moved me in a way because I've, I mean, I've heard so many sermons my whole life, you know, I, too many. Um, and 
So I said, I, I texted him, I was like, if someone were to ask me, what is one of the top three sermons I've heard and received in my life, I would include your reteaching of your Easter sermon. And um, then I shared on Palm Sunday, I had three clear pictures, visions I saw. I had a lot of curiosity, mystery, wonder, and peaceful expectancy around them. I processed them since and illustrated each one, um, which I did after I left my parents. I felt empty, not hopeless, but it felt far and numbed. Then I felt the phrase, the Lord has been gently whispering to me, starting at Lent, it is significant. I've realized that grief and deliverance tend to lead to one or the other. Both have incredible worth and value, both often make me feel incredibly uncomfortable and exposed and totally. In response to the question, where have you witnessed resurrection and renewal as you follow King Jesus into new creation? My heart has been greatly positioned to be tender, to allow the Lord's hands to mold and move it the renewed, in the renewed space, to not only feel and be touched by the waters of the Holy Spirit, but to hold them and be held. In my mind, impulsivity now comes from a source of Jesus, asking, pausing, listening, then stepping into action. I now find my mind in the discipline of celebration, victory, where shame and guilt were once held. By choosing to pause and ask the Lord, what is mental health and what is character? And what, and, I'm sorry, and what is character? When things arise, I find in myself in proper and healthy attunement to the rhythms and harmonies of myself and others. And in my body, tons of feeling stuff. Again, like Johnny was saying, if you want to ask with those things, but I, I think all in all, on the other, when I was looking at the question, resurrection, and the seasons of that, of like, you have this expectancy of God to know, and you see those highs, you know, like for me, I've been overseas, seen the miraculous, but then you come into those quiet spaces of even the mundane things. And it's like, when you've seen so much, but then it feels so far, what does that look like in this space? You know, and again, like performance, all that stuff is so comfortable sometimes to step into. But I think being present in the stillness is really the moments where I've felt and seen the greatest miracles ever because only the Lord can shift and mold people's hearts, nothing else. And yeah, that's it. That's great. Thank you, Ollie. Um, did did Bree make it down? No. Uh, do you want to do that, Ellie? Cool. She had something to share. Um, so we're waiting for Bree. Is there any? Well, I'll open it up. Does anybody want to come share? Eli, senior, or the original? The, well, okay. <laughs> Pleasant. Hello, all. Um, I just wanted to share my testimony, which is how grateful I am that God allows me to see his promise. He does not remove his promise from my view, regardless of how the world in itself reflects that, that pushes that view. A little emotional, it's been a uh, tough day. Just some quick contents and why I'm emotional and why I want you to understand that you have to continue to look for God's promises in, in the chaos. Uh, I went to Puerto Rico last week, went back to my motherland. It was great to be around people like myself that I could see as business owners, I could see as pastors and preachers and mothers and, 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 and mayors and all those different things. It's, it's wonderful to see what I look like in those, in those titles, like why I'm blessed that my son found this church and thank you to the beautiful and thank you for this lovely man because him and I don't share the same reflections, but his spirit, his, his consumption of the world and the word is very similar to mine. I'm grateful to have. I'm grateful my son found this place so that I'm able to see what it looks like to be a man of God through 
through this wonderful individual. And the, and the testimony is that I woke up remembering my father said, I had a conversation with him in Puerto Rico. I was like, Dad, you bought land in 86. I don't know what you've done with it. You've done nothing up to this point, but guess what? You did something good that day, and I'm proud of you that day because I get to pick that up and bring our family, our history back to a, a, a singular place that we could go out to the world and come back and figure out who we are, go back into the world, come back and figure out who we are. And my brother explains to me after that conversation that my father was ready to fight me for that land, that my father was ready to go to war with me for something that I was sharing with him, think, thinking that I was taking up his mission and, 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 and finishing what he started. And what kills me is that we as Christians, we as God-fearing individuals are going to continuously beat up, be beaten up by other people's perspective, especially the ones that we look up to, the, the ones that we want to see ourselves in, that we want confirmation that we're doing the right thing. And not to have that, it's, it's I feel bad for those that don't have God in their lives because heaven knows if I'll still be on earth if I not have God's, God's promise. And the witness that I want you to share with me today is that my son was sitting right, standing right there, praising God and giving his word, his life and his talent to the Lord. And that's, that's God's promise to me. Regardless of what I see or feel or understand, his promise, I get to see his promise. I get to see his life, his word. My brother, who's sitting in front of him, he's on 95 surgeries now, dialysis patient, 95, 95 surgeries, 95 surgeries. I've had one, I, I tore my Achilles uh, in October, and that was like the worst experience ever in my life, ever. So God did two things to me today to reaffirm who I am in him. He gave me my promise for my son to see his glory. And he gave me strength in my brother to see my fears. So I have someone to look up to in both those contentments. And I, we have to continue to allow God's beauty to be in ours and in, in within ourselves and the chaos that we walk in. Thank you. Did we get Bree? Oh, okay, well, well, yeah, we'll keep opening it up. Who's next? Molly, what up? Okay. <laughs> Just in case you go way too long, and I'm like, so anyway. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Um, I wasn't going to say anything, but I was just so inspired by everyone's testimony today and so felt moved to say something. Um, my word for 2022 was faith. Um, I have quite honestly been away from any kind of church community for 10 years, um, experienced quite a lot of disillusionment and very um, heartbreak and grief and um, due to like family trauma, abusive relationships, kind of you can name it, um, and just trying to find my own way. I've always believed in God, but had a very hard time, just disillusionment in general. Um, but uh, I, and I, I just was moved this week because I met with a dear friend of mine who is a very strong woman of faith, and um, I kind of like opened up a little to her about what I've been going through. And she was like, oh, Molly, I have broken up with God twice, and here is what's going on. And I was like, 
this is very refreshing. <laughs> and, um, but she just, it was just a wonderful conversation. And so I'm part of like everything else. Like I felt like that was such an example of resurrection and renewal through people. And I just feel so grateful to have met people and have seen God work through it's gonna make me emotional, but over the past few months, like I have just reached out to people who I've been friends with for a long time. And I've been so scared to be like, I'm on a faith journey and like, like, um, just, I don't know what the right word is, but I am trying to just reconnect with God. And because without him, it doesn't work. My life just does not, things in my life don't work. And I am just so grateful to have found wisdom in this community and I'm learning so much and you know I know it's like learning to have patience or the whole thing is um it's been a worthwhile trip and I just um want to say how happy I am to be here and just to be here on this journey and learn from everyone so that's all thank you great um we'll have Brie come and share a little bit and then we will uh step back into worship so we met this week and um, the Lord's just been doing some really neat things in Bree's life. And so we wanted to give her a chance to, to share. Yeah. Thanks. Hi everyone. How's it going? Um, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. Like Ryan said, we met and the Lord has done uh, really big things in my life, but I think one thing that I told my community group this week is, um, and I always bring it back to um, Catholicism and what I've learned. Um, and Catholicism isn't terrible, but <laughs> but um, I definitely uh, learned that God was an angry God and that he didn't um, love me and I had to do good works to uh, win his favor. And um, when I first became um, a non-Christian, like um, somebody asked me, um, this prompt. Um, if you were looking at a white house with a porch and a little white picket fence, and you saw Jesus sitting on a rocking chair, um, what would you do? And my first initial reaction when this was uh, a while ago was like, I don't want to open the picket fence. And I don't want to go near Jesus because he's, he's gonna be really angry at me. Um, but now, uh, learning and being here at City Beautiful, I've, I've learned that that's not who he is. And so I think in my life, I've finally gotten to the point where I would open the picket fence and I would sit next to him and I would hold his hand. Um, and so I think I'm getting close. Um, uh, but it's been a journey about six years. Um, and so that's where I am now, but one day I'd really like to jump over the fence and give him a giant hug. But, um, but I think that's my, my testimony at the moment is just, yeah. Um, rewiring my brain and, and learning who God really is and learning uh, all about his love. And so I'm really grateful for, um, this space to do that. In. Thanks Brie. Um, I'm going to invite, uh, invite the band to come back up and we're going to continue in worship in just a moment. But um, one of the things that I love about this, this road to Emmaus story is it, it, does, it doesn't just end there um, with Jesus kind of doing an extended Bible study 
um, with Cleopas and Mary. It continues on. So this is starting uh, in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And I love that with this couple, with Peter, with John, with Mary Magdalene, like all these stories, they, it's like you have to get to this place of hopelessness to be able to kind of hope again. You know, like you have to come to a point where you're just kind of at the end of your rope. You, you really, like all of your religious coping mechanisms don't seem to be working anymore. And you're like, that's the best position for you to truly encounter Jesus. And I love that you know, they've already been so formed as to welcome Christ, even though they don't know that it's him, uh, to come and to eat with them. And it's through this sacrament of him breaking bread and giving it to them. That's when they look at him and they go, oh, yes, we do know you. Um, and I love that this little moment where it says their eyes were opened to see him for who he truly is. You know, of course, reversing the curse of Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve eat the fruit, their eyes are open to see themselves as naked. Cleopas and Mary, their eyes are open to see Christ as the redemption of the whole story. And so the invitation for us today uh, in the second Sunday of Easter is that we're invited to know Jesus both in the scriptures and being immersed in God's story, uh, but also in the breaking of bread. That when you and I, when we come to the Lord's table, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, whatever your tradition might have called it, um, we're entering into his story of life death and resurrection. That as the bread is chosen, so we are chosen. As it is blessed, so we are blessed. As the bread is broken open, so we are broken open. And as the bread is offered for the sake of the world, so we do the same. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to pray together uh, a responsive prayer. Uh, it's going to be on the screens and you're going to respond with the things in italics as we approach the Lord's table. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God of all power, ruler of the universe, you are worthy of glory and praise. At your command, all things came to be. The vast expanse of interstellar space, galaxies, suns, the planets and their courses, and this fragile earth, our island home. From the primal elements, you brought forth the human race and blessed us with memory, reason, and skill. You made us the rulers of creation, but we turned against you and betrayed your trust. We turned against one another. 
Again and again, you called us to return. Through the prophets and sages, you revealed your righteous law. And in the fullness of time, you sent your only son, born of a woman, to fulfill your law, to open for us the way of freedom and peace. And therefore, we praise you, joining with the heavenly chorus, with prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all those in every generation who have looked to you in hope to proclaim with them your glory in their unending hymn. And so, Father, we who have been redeemed by him and made a new people by water and the Spirit, now bring before you these gifts Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his friends and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, gave thanks, and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Remembering now his work of redemption and offering to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Lord God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes to see your hand at work in the world about us. Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Let the grace of this holy communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. Accept these prayers and praises, Father, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit, your church gives honor, glory, and worship from generation to generation. Amen. And now as our great Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, dear friends, uh, I welcome you to the table as we continue in worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.